Hello, and welcome to the Weird Waves podcast. My name is Taylor, and this is episode 20. On this week's episode, we talked to Gabriel Scavor. He is a surfer from Chicago who was originally from California, and I actually met him when I was doing one of my random shifts at Third Coast Surf Shop. We were just, it was a slow October day, we were just kind of bullshitting around, and we started talking about localism, about California surfing, surfing here, and I was like, hey, you should be on this podcast that I do. And so he just happened to be in the area a couple of weeks ago, and we recorded in person. This episode is really cool, and I really hope that you guys enjoy it. Hello. <laughs> hey, Taylor. <laughs> How's it going? It's good, yeah. Introduce yourself, maybe. Let's start with that. All right, so my name's Gabriel. I live in Chicago, uh, grew up in Southern California, um, was a, been in the water all my life, started surfing when I was uh, 18 in San Diego, and then moved to uh, Chicago about five years ago, and now I uh, surf the lake. And how did you find the lake, surfing? Did you know before you came here? You know, I kind of did. Um, there was one time I was flying uh, through Chicago. And I remember like looking out of the plane and going, oh my God, there are lines. And it must have been one of those days where the winds were coming out of the north and there was swell. And I looked down and there, sure enough, like lines like you would see from aerial shots on the coast, you know, looking like there are waves breaking and peeling. So, yeah, I just, I always had it in the back of my head that like, oh my God, you know, Chicago, a lake has surf, but. I didn't know it until I actually surfed it about three or four years ago. It's interesting. So did you move to Chicago? What was the purpose of that? You just wanted to change or you wanted? Yeah. So I was my last nine years of living in California. I was in Big Sur, middle of nowhere, like one of the most beautiful spots on the planet that I've ever been to. A lot of people say that it is like their most beautiful spot that they've ever seen. And yeah, I was living and working in a place that you see the same people every day. You go eat, you know, the same places all the time. Uh, there's nowhere to be anonymous. You don't have, you know, that influx of culture that's constantly churning through like a city like Chicago does. So I kind of wanted to get out and uh, experience something else. And I picked Chicago because it had uh, kind of everything that I wanted. You know, it's what I call the Goldilocks city. Okay, explain that. So it doesn't have the sprawl of L.A., and it doesn't have the density of New York. And it's sitting on a humongous body of water where you can't see to the other side. Goldilocks and the Three Bears. Yeah. That's pretty smart. Yeah. That's so, clever. So it has, yeah, it has everything, you know, that you want. You have musicians constantly coming through. I love stand-up comedy, so uh, you constantly have stand-up comedians coming through. The Chicago comedy scene is amazing. Uh, you have theater, you have world-class food chefs. So we had a little bit of that in Big Sur, but it was just in such a small amount. You got in such small doses. It just wasn't enough. Interesting. And did you have family in this area or you just kind of... No, uh, I visited friends a little bit and then, uh, yeah, I just packed up and took off. Did you drive or did you fly? No, I flew. Okay. And I put my stuff on Amtrak Freight. Oh, and that's interesting. Yeah. So if anybody's wanting to move cross-country and you have um, a lot of small stuff that you want to ship, Amtrak Freight's one of the cheapest ways to do it. So that's a pro tip. <laughs> that's cool. I didn't know. I, I've heard that you can do those like um, 
visit those little boxes through U-Haul or whatever. They have like little pods. I've heard uh, yeah, of those, pods. But I haven't. I didn't know you could do it with Amtrak. That's smart. Yeah, you can't send a lot, but mm-hmm. I mean, for the amount that you can send, it's so cheap. It's so cost effective. Yeah. So when you started surfing in California, how old were you? Uh, I was 18. Okay. But before that, I was uh, like I was in junior lifeguards, uh, you know, body surfing, uh, going to the beach, hanging out, you know, doing the stuff like, you know, California kids do when they live close to the beach. And how did you find surfing or was it just kind of? It's something I always wanted to do. Okay. You know, (laughs) I mean, as corny as it sounds, like um, I fell in love with surfing through Point Break. And, uh, <laughs> that's awesome. And yeah, I just wanted to surf. It was something that was always on my mind. When I got to college, I went to San Diego State. Uh, one of the people who lived on my floor, um, he was a surfer and, you know, I paddled out with him the first couple times. And like, I kind of already knew that I had the bug, but, you know, when I got out there and got my butt whooped, um, you know, as a first timer, like that bug stayed. Yeah. What is it like, uh, learning to surf? in San Diego. I would imagine it's busy, but I don't really know. Uh, I moved to San Diego in 96 and the surf scene, you know, it's, has always been crowded, but mm-hmm. uh, we would pick mellow spots to go. Uh, we would go down a uh, whole bunch of mellow breaks in the Sunset Cliffs. So we go there, we go to La Jolla Shores. Um, and I just remember struggling a lot, you know, with paddling like, you know, all beginners do. It's like when I tell, when people ask me and they're like, oh, so you know, what advice can you give me about surfing? Like, I want to start. I've never done it before. I was like, get in a pool. Like, just start doing freestyle. Yeah. Put a pole buoy between your legs and just pull, pull, pull. Um, so that and uh, and learn how to duck dive. Yeah. So if, if you can do those two things, like, in, if you can get outside and then have the endurance to, um, you know, to paddle throughout a session then that's going to open up a lot of doors. Yeah, that's true. I had a, my first surf instructor said that serving should actually be called paddling. Oh, yeah. Because you're paddling more than you are <laughs> serving waves. I mean, just just before we started recording, I was telling you about my session yesterday Yeah. and how I paddled out, and uh, that's all I did. I, just, just I was just paddling against yeah. a current. Like, I wanted to get back to this peak. And it was just relentless. Like I had, to, I was fighting it the whole time, and you know, I ended up just getting out because, yeah. well, I was by myself. The water was super cold. Um, sun was going down, and you know, it was just like, yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna bother with just paddling, 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 and scraping. How long were you out? You think? I was out for about a half hour. Yeah. But mm-hmm. that entire half hour, like, so I paddled out through a channel. And the peak was breaking, you know, just off to the left. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, all right, sweet. Paddle out through the channel, go sit at my spot, and and just wait. So did exactly that, sitting there. And I was a little bit too far inside. Set comes in, and so I had to duck dive like two or three waves. And then after I was done with that, I I look back to see where I was lined up, and I was like at least 25, 25 yards down the beach. And, yeah, after that, it was just a struggle fest. What kind of boards are you surfing? Like, what did you have yesterday? Oh, God. So, <laughs> yeah, this is, this has been an issue. Okay. Um, so, had I had one of my longer boards uh, with a little bit more volume, it probably would have been a little easier. But I was on uh, a pretty chippy 6.7. 
Yeah. Um, that's a board that I had shaped for me back in San Diego when I was uh, 160 pounds. I'm 180 now. Okay. And um, and yeah, that thing does not float me very well. Um, but I take I took it out because uh, that's the only board that could fit in the car that we had. So yeah, so I was, you need something with a little more beef, maybe. Yeah. 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 Do you mostly um surf short shorter boards? Yeah, I actually learned how to surf on a short board. Yeah, so rare. my first board, <laughs> uh, I knew I needed more volume when I learned how to surf. That's, you know, the advice that I got. Mm-hmm. Um, my first board was this, like, 6'6", six, six, super heavy glassed uh, Craig, and it was probably, like, three inches thick. It was, like, 22 inches wide. I mean, that thing was a boat. Uh, that board actually broke on the uh, Ocean Beach Pier in San Diego one uh, one November morning. So that was a very sad day. Yeah, well, that sounds like a good board. But um, after that, I transitioned to this, like, 5.8 um, that, oh, my God. It was a de-lamming board that my dad found at a garage sale, and he's like, dude, you're a poor college student. I'm really sorry. <laughs> you know, your board broke. Um, pick this up for like 25 bucks. And, uh, yeah, that board got me through some hard times. What a, like, transition, though, from that other board to 5.8? Would that be, I don't know, it sounds like kind of a... It was a little tough, but, like, I was, I think at that point, like, too stupid to know better. Yeah, well, that that helps. Um, So, yeah, that's 6.6. Yeah, it it served me well, like, for the time I had it. But then that 5.8, like made me realize that I could get into situations um, and improvise. Like one time I took that thing out at Black's on one of those days where Black's is like throwing from the bottom, you know, not really from the top, just super hollow day. Mm -hmm. And uh, I really tested like my limits, but also the limits of the board. I, I always feel like with short boards, you can get yourself into stickier situations Mm -hmm. because of the like, ease in which you can get out the back oh yeah which i think is is funny because sometimes you see those people that they can't really surf it but they can get out it out Mm -hmm. there and i think that that's kind of a (laughs) kind of an interesting i was that person i can say that from experience i was like i was i practiced duck diving i had my shortboard i thought it was really cool but i couldn't surf it but i could get out there right and it's funny yeah and Actually, I was thinking, like, I was so proud of myself yesterday when I was duck diving. I was like, oh, man, I'm, I'm so good at this right now. But then I, I was like, well, you know, there's a lot. I need a lot more volume, yeah. like, to actually, you know, do what I want to do. So. What was the transition for you, like, going from ocean waves to the lake? Um, I mean, the first uh, the first time I went out, it was super cold. Mm-hmm. Um, and the coldest I'd ever surfed was... In Northern California, where the water was probably like 52, okay. um, and so, so you're wearing like what a three two? Uh, out there, I was wearing a four three. Okay. Um, and then I didn't paddle out for the first time in the lake until I had my six five four. So like just having that much rubber on you, like it's thick. Yeah, it's really thick. It's really hard to like take on, get off, um, and just the resistance when you paddle, like, was it's, a lot was a lot harder. Yeah. So I noticed that, you know, for the first couple times, I'd be a lot more sore than I expected after surfing. 
Um, but yeah, that's because of, you know, how restrictive those suits are. Do you still wear a six five? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I have a, I have a, like a pretty buttery four three now yeah. also. And Cause I know, um, I feel like when people get really into it, they get a six five and then they are kind of like, uh, <laughs> and then go down to the five four. So I just, yeah, no, I'd rather be warm. Yeah. Um, and comfortable. Yeah. So. <laughs> that's, that's probably a good choice out here. Do you have a variety of boards or are you sticking to that? Yeah. So I have, um, so my six, four and my six, seven, um, they are definitely not going to be floating me anymore. So I need to get rid of those. Uh, <laughs> at I, least you know it. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I could admit it. Uh, I have a seven, six. That's the one that I, uh, surf on most, most regularly. Um, that has pretty good volume on it. That's, um, it's three inches thick. I think 21 inches, uh, 21 inches wide. I have, uh, I have an eight footer also. So, but what I, what I really want to get, uh, when I can save up enough money is, uh, one of those lost puddle fishes. I don't, I'm not familiar with those. Yeah. So, I mean, they're made for, uh, small waves, okay. small gutless waves. So, Perfect um, for the lake. yeah. So not a lot of rocker, um, wide, thick, uh, lots of volume, you know, and, uh, yeah, they're meant to generate speed, so. That's that's what you need on the lake. That yeah. sounds good. So I'm asking Santa <laughs> for that. Yeah. Well, I think um, most surfers ask Santa for boards, right? <laughs> In a perfect world, everyone would get a new board for Christmas. <laughs> um, so do you travel outside of the lake for surf much or are you sticking to the lake mostly? So mostly I'm sticking to the lake. I okay. don't have, uh, I don't have time to travel. I have, I have traveled for surf. I've been, um, all over Baja and then went down to Costa Rica for uh, a couple times. So. That's cool. That sounds good. I know in the, um, so we met in the surf shop, which mm-hmm. is awesome. I love when that happens when someone is just like, Hey, I could be on the podcast. Like, it's just, it's kind of like, I don't know. I feel like it's meant to be sometimes. And sure. we were talking about the um, crowdedness in San Diego. And oh, yeah. we were kind of just saying, I think you were saying that when you're out there, you don't want to surf as much as when you come back here. Something along those lines. So there was a time in um, on the West Coast that I kind of, I thought I quit surfing. Okay. And part of it was because uh how crowded it was. Part of it was like localism. Like, you know, I wanted to surf when I wanted to surf and I didn't feel like getting vibed if I, you know, paddled out somewhere where, you know, that you know, there was that local vibe. Mm-hmm. So I kinda of transitioned out of surfing uh to rock climbing. Okay. So That's I, interesting. Yeah. So I started climbing. And then when I moved to Chicago, like I saw that, you know, there's this huge resource, you know, offshore that I could use. And, um, and I just got back into it there. I think the fact that surfing on a lake is such a, like, kind of a treat. And especially since, you know, waves on the lake are such a limited resource, um, I really wanted, I don't know, like it kind of lit me back up. So yeah, I, I got my boards. Um, bought that six six millimeter wetsuit, got booties, got mittens, and uh, started paddling out again. Did you find people in Chicago to surf with, or did you just kind of go out by yourself the first? Uh, no, my buddy, uh, my buddy Dan, who uh, who I met through the slacklining community, actually, 
um, he's kind of like my surf partner. Okay. And most of the times that I've been out in the lake, I've paddled out with Dan. That's awesome. I didn't know there was a slacklining community. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So there are a whole bunch of slackliners. Um, and I met them all because of the, uh, because of the, they were organizing the Breathe, uh, slacklining festival. I didn't, I, I know nothing about this. All right. So I'm going to plug my friends here okay, a little bit. Okay. This is cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Breathe, I believe now, um, I think they did their sixth year. I think they're going to be doing their seventh year. Um, it's a huge community-based festival that uh, originally started in Illinois, but they moved it to uh, Indiana. I don't know if they've set the dates, but they usually do it uh, second weekend of July, and it's a three- to four-day festival. They do everything from slacklining, and that's, I mean, you're talking high lines, super, super long lines, uh, trick lines, intermediate lines, water lines, they, they like, if you've ever seen, um, those big, uh, like in Utah, in Moab, there's a crew that makes these, uh, slacklining nets. And if you can like walk on the slackline out to the middle, uh, you can just be hanging out over these huge cliffs and canyons, you know, sitting on top of a net that's basically made out of like slack lines and, uh, and climbing rope. So they have those, but it goes beyond that. They, uh, they also do workshops. Uh, there are multiple yoga classes per day and it's, yeah, they have music, they have live music, fireworks. Um, that sounds sick. Where in Indiana is it? Oh man, it's, I'm blanking on the name of it, Okay. but I mean, if anybody listening to this is interested, go to uh, discoverbreathe.com. We'll put it in the in the description too, where it's located, just yeah. so when we can like write it up or whatever. Sure. Well, that's that's a very interesting way to find a surf buddy, actually. <laughs> so, so, and my buddy Dan, like he uh, he would travel out to um, to Southern California and take surf lessons, and he met me, and he's like all right, like, let's figure this whole lake surfing thing out. And, you know, it was pretty easy from there. That's cool. Was it like a, was there a learning curve for you or did you pick it up? Um, I think the learning curve for me was that, like, you couldn't be picky. Like, yeah. like on the ocean, uh, like in San Diego, one of my typical mornings when I was surfing all the time, uh, and when I was living there, I was surfing like, you know, four or five times a week when there were waves. So I'd wake up in the morning and I lived in the, uh, I mostly lived in like the Point Loma Ocean Beach area. Yeah. So I would, I would either start at the Sunset Cliffs and then, you know, check all the spots, go to Ocean Beach, see if it was breaking there, um, and then go to Pacific Beach, go check the La Jolla Reefs, go check La Jolla Shores, and then... I would go as far north as Blacks and check from the Torrey Pines glider port. Mm -hmm. And in in between there, like 99% of the time, I would find something to surf on. But here, <laughs> it's like living in Chicago, you have four beaches that you can legally surf at. Um, I've only surfed at two of them because uh, two... Oh, no, actually, I have surfed at three. I've surfed at... Um, Let's see, Kathy Osterman Beach, and then Montrose, and then um, 57th Street Beach. Mm -hmm. But 57th Street, 
doesn't break all that often, uh, and it's far for me. And then Kathy Osterman, I, I mean, I paddled out there, but you know, there just re- really isn't much. Mm-hmm. So, um, or I just haven't like got it on a good day. But paddle out at Montrose, you know, the majority of the time that I've been on the lake, and uh, I think the thing that I had to get used to is, you know, not being picky, not being choosy. Like, if there are waves you're paddling out, and you you take what you can get. And, like, I don't know. I don't know. There's something something freeing kind of about not having the choice where where you know, like, you know, this is it, and you just got to make the best of it. And so we just go out and, like, have a good time. Yeah, there's there's something really humbling about serving on the lake. I think you are also constantly having to defend the fact that you can even do it, <laughs> which is kind of a weird thing to do for a hobby, you want to say. But um, that's something I've always thought was kind of, like, interesting. You can't half-ass lake surfing. Oh, no. No, you're... You're either all in or all out, and I mean, yeah, you get funny looks from people when you're when you're suiting up. You know, it's always a conversation starter. You know, somebody's walking by and they're like, "What are you doing?" And you're like, "Oh yeah, just going surfing." Like people stop you if you have your board. You know, they want to ask you questions. They're curious. So I think I think a lot of people like look at the lake and they'll see like breaking waves and but they just won't connect it they won't even like think that you can surf it until they see somebody doing it i think sometimes it's kind of like it's kind of like that in life like i always get stuck on surfing as a metaphor for life like every surfer does but it's like until somebody tells you that you can do that you're Mm -hmm. you're not going to think that you can do that right and i know that there's definitely people that even though they see us suiting up they're like no you can't you can't do it (laughs) yeah i mean the humbling thing yesterday like coming back to my session yesterday because it did like kind of put me in my place like i saw a peak out there and i was like all right i'm gonna surf that and then you know the current had something else to say but while i was getting suited up um there were guys doing construction on on this like little uh beach house or like field house right on the beach and of course you know they see me like pulling out a board out of my car um getting my wetsuit out they're like dude are you gonna go surf that uh, and i was like yeah and they're like do you have like a paddle like <laughs> i'm like no no i'm actually gonna like you know surf like you see in see in the videos and um I guess they were like winding their day down. And when I paddled out, like I had an audience of about three guys waiting for me to like, you know, (laughs) be radical or be gnarly. I don't know what they were expecting, but I'm pretty sure I let them down. (laughs) You know what? I felt that. (laughs) That's so funny. I've I've had that too. There's some weird pressure about having an audience because you don't usually have one on the lake. Mm-hmm. It's like when people are actually watching you, you're like, <laughs> what? <laughs> Be radical. I like that. Um, what do you usually say to people as they ask you? Well, I mean, depends on the person, I guess. Okay. Um, or depends on how t- like if I'm going from my car to to the water and like 
I'm in my little trot with my board under my arm. Like I don't want to stop for anybody, but mm-hmm. um, like yeah, if I have if I have a minute, then I'll totally open myself up and you know talk to people about it. Yeah, the more I think the more people know about it, um, I don't know, the better the better the community you know can get. I don't know. Surfing is such a it's such an avenue uh, for so many things. And, um, like through surfing, you can get into like environmental advocacy Okay. because, you know, if the water's polluted, then, you know, you can't paddle out, you can't surf. So, but if the water's polluted, that means, you know, what are people drinking? Are other people going to be able to, you know, just go take a swim? Mm-hmm. Uh, what's happening to, uh, to fish? Um, what's happening with algae blooms? Like, these are all things we have to consider, like, as surfers, because, you know, if organizations like the Surfrider Foundation, um, or if the EPA, which is, you know, supposed to be looking out for us, um, you know, if they're not doing their job to, you know, help keep all bodies of water clean, then, you know, we might not be able to, like, use the light. Yeah. Are you involved with the Surfrider Foundation in um, Chicago? I'd like to be. Yeah. So. Yeah. I know that the, um, I have a a sneaking suspicion that there will be another lawsuit because we've had three of the spills like in this area in like, I think it was like a month or two months and there was that huge fish kill. Right. Um, yeah, some of my friends were uh were surfing. Oh yeah. Like down really close to uh to where that happened. Did they feel like any any change in the water or anything like that? Well, I mean, when when a lot of those poisons get into the lake, they're invisible. Mm-hmm. Like you have no idea. You can't taste them, you can't mm-hmm. see a change in the water. Yeah. Um, you know, the only way anybody can tell if water's contaminated you know, by like say weird chemicals or heavy metals is to test. And so they found out, you know, after the fact and rightfully so they were pissed. Yeah. They should have been. Yeah. And I heard there were people in the community that are no longer a part of the community. They've moved because Mm -hmm. of that specific incident. I know um, a couple of people had some like, I don't know, like a liver issue or something Mm -hmm. along those lines. And, um, I know that, uh, I forgot where I was surfing, but I got these like weird like spots all over my like chest and arms. Mm-hmm. I've heard of people in Portage or not Portage, sorry, in Whiting. Like I had a guy tell me that his hair was curly and then he surfed in Whiting and his hair was straight <laughs> for like two weeks. That seems like that's a very specific example. Super weird. Yeah, but I've heard that kind of stuff and that's a very like it's a problem. I've heard it being an issue on every league except for Superior. Okay. Um, but, yeah, it is funny because I think when you're just living a day-to-day life and you don't have to think about something like that, it's kind of pretty easy to just you swim in the lake a couple times a year and you don't really think about it. Right. But because we're in there, we're kind of the on the front lines of all that yeah. stuff. Because, I mean, even, uh, even when I was surfing in California, there was, like, that steadfast... Uh, rule where you know you're not supposed to surf or get in the water uh, like 48 hours after a rain. Oh, really? Yeah, because of all the runoff. 
Oh, I, I guess I don't know anything about that. So, I mean, it's just something that was kind of drilled into me. I don't know, like, who made that rule up, but okay. um, I just remember that being repeated and you know, told to me lots of times over the years. But a lot of those watersheds in California, you know, from Southern California all the way up, you know, through the Bay Area are, you know, polluted. There's, you know, trash, you know, sewage, all sorts of different, you know, bacteria mm-hmm. that has to go somewhere when it rains. So, you know, it gets in those canals and channels and then spills out into the ocean. And, yeah, it would take about uh, 48 hours for everything to, you know, kind of, D- dilute, yeah, yeah, dissipate and get back to safe levels. Uh, one thing that I've heard um, is that during really heavy rains in Chicago, what uh, Chicago and other cities um, along the uh, lakefront will do is they'll reverse the flow of um, certain waterways to um, to help control flooding. Oh wow! Which will spill like sewage into the lake. It's it's not, I mean, I'd like to say it's surprising, but it's not that surprising. Um, I just wonder, like, what can be done about it. I think it's kind of difficult because I've heard people talking about the steel mill and talking about finding them. But on the flip side, it like living in Indiana, a lot of people work for the steel mill. So it's right. kind of like a weird um, topic it's definitely something that you don't bring up in in indiana because people get really defensive of the job creators i guess Mm -hmm. well i mean if you put it that way like the job creators won't have jobs to give out if like they make a toxic wasteland you know where they're producing their goods like if people if people can't live there because you know, it's overly polluted. Mm-hmm. You know, what are they going to do? Just pick up their shops, go somewhere else, and pollute that place and in, into the <laughs> ground? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. What do you think is a good solution? Well, I mean, I don't, I don't pretend to have any solution, but um, I think making sure the EPA is holding companies um, and the factories accountable for their um, you know, their spills, um, making sure that they're operating in a, in a safe manner. I think that's huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like with a lot of big mis- business, um, you can't, you can't leave them unchecked because, you know, to increase their bottom line, they're going to find ways to cut corners. And if nobody's watching them, they're going to do whatever they want. So I think, yeah, organizations like the Surf Rider Foundation, other, um, and other groups who can file lawsuits and who can have that legal clout. I think, I think that's a really important thing. I don't know, just controlling, controlling the output of pollutants. I mean, we put somebody on the moon. We put multiple people on the moon. We have, we have spacecraft, you know, they're out exploring the outer reaches of space. Um, like how can these companies not find an efficient way to not pollute, but also, you know, produce what they're producing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. It is still kind of shocking that it is the year that it is, and we still have to worry about toxic waste being released into a very important natural body of water. And the other thing is that 
I don't know if you looked at the houses here in Indiana, but after the last big storm, like, we've got houses falling into the lake now, especially, like, right down here. Oh, yeah. That's also a very, like, crazy thing to see is, like, how did... How was someone allowed to build that there? <laughs> well, I mean, you, you see the same thing in like places like Malibu okay. uh, too. Like you have houses that are basically built on stilts, and you know how much longer are those houses going to stick around? Mm-hmm. Eventually, nature is going to overtake, you know, where that house is, and that house is going to no longer be able to stand there. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you can't ignore the fact that climate change is driving some of these things. Um, we're getting more intense storms, and beach erosion is going to be a big thing. Yeah, and with, yeah, with the storms, like the bigger the storms, the more sand is going to get you know, ripped off the coast, and it takes a lot to bring that sand back. Yeah, I, I wonder too how, um, how it's going to look in like fifty years. I mean, a couple of years ago, I was up in Door County with uh, with my wife, and we went on. Um, we were on a boat lake tour, and the uh, the tour guide pointing out to these uh, to these islands, and I mean, you could barely see the islands; they were just like trees popping up, like out of the water. And he was telling us, he's like, "Yeah, like you know, twenty, thirty years ago, um, you could see a lot more of that island, and yeah, things things aren't like sinking, but the water is definitely getting higher." Yeah, that's it's very interesting. The other side of that, or maybe it's the same side of that, but I had a client that was a real estate agent, and she was telling me that so two years ago it was like record low, like water levels or whatever. Or maybe it was mm-hmm. three years ago. So especially in this area, the property values were like really high. Sure. For beachfront property, because of course all of these owners don't understand the property rights because they're getting upselled by the real estate agents. Mm-hmm. And it looks like they had this huge beach. Okay. And so at the beginning of the summer or at, towards the end of last winter when people were starting to come back into their, like, get their summer houses ready for summer and all this, um, they were pissed because they have no beach. The beach is gone. Right. And so people are kind of starting to try to either get rid of their properties or move Mm -hmm. on the other side of the road because they're kind of seeing how it's affecting their property and the value and how much they have to put into having the property. Sure. Um, Right down here, stop 30, there's a house that, I mean, it got absolutely battered by the last big wave when we had the first snow like two, I want to say it was two weeks ago. Yeah, that was Um, a big storm. It was a huge storm. And there's a video of, like, it, it's this huge, like, very modern-looking house, three stories. On the third story, all the beach furniture was getting, it looked like it was going into the water. It was just got <laughs> absolutely battered. So, I don't know. It's it's tough to, I don't know what to do about that or what should be done about that. Not like I can do anything, but. Yeah, I don't think there's anything anybody can do about it because we're at the mercy of natural phenomenon that we can't control. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's just, it's just sitting back and realizing that, you know, we're animals experiencing, you know, life on, on this humongous rock that, you know, has forces 
way beyond anything that we're ever going to be able to harness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting conundrum. And it's an interesting time to be a surfer, too, because I feel like we're kind of on the front lines, like you said, of those watching those things happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But at the same time, like as surfers, um, when we're getting in the water, um, in the smallest way, you know, we are we are controlling a force of nature. And uh yeah, I don't I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> That's <honestly. okay>. But <laughs> but yeah, I mean using using our boards as tools. Um, you know, we're harnessing the power of the water mm-hmm. for fun. Yeah. What is it for you that kind of made surfing be your thing? Um I think it's just being in the water. Like when I was, I think I was four when my mom took me to my first swimming lesson. Um, you know, I would go growing up, growing up in Long Beach. We would always go to uh, Seal Beach. Uh, I would go with my cousins. We'd you know get in the water at the pier, go to Huntington Beach, go hang out. Um, I don't know. I was just always a beach kid. And then with surfing, it was just it created so much stronger of a connection uh to the water because yeah like i like i was saying like you're you're harnessing like an expression of nature like nature expressing itself you have the sun you know heating up the planet um which creates hot or warm air like mixing with cold air which you know creates storms and these storms, like, you know, for California, whether it's, you know, they're being generated in you know, Alaska or, or way down south in the southern hemisphere, like, these storms are sending these, like, pulses of energy, you know, through the water. And then days later, you know, those pulses of energy from those storms, you know, reach you. And uh, there's something beautiful about that. Yes, I would agree with that. Totally. It's like a way to express yourself and like with nature. Oh yeah, and I mean, if you want to get down to like the quantum level, like everything's a wave. Like light is a wave, sound is a wave, um, and so, and you can you know physically see that in the water. You can see you can see those rhythms, and yeah. When you were in California, were you a big forecasting person? Were you like looking at the surf forecast and all that stuff? So, um, I guess Surfline's been around for a pretty long time. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that was around back um, during the time of the fax machine. I think you could like <laughs> subscribe to it, and then they would uh, they would like fax you surf reports. Really. I, I think that's that's so cool. I'm pretty sure that's how Surfline started, but now okay. but now it's like you know the end all be all yeah like yeah Surfcast uh, Surf Forecast websites. Um, so when I was in San Diego, I would I would hop on to um, like the uh, the NOAA websites and just see what the uh, forecasts would say, um, and then I would have to look at the tide charts, uh, see what the tides are doing. Uh, look at the winds. So uh, over time, I would 
I kind of like develop this formula in my head for different for different spots. Like be like, oh, okay, if it's if the tide's going low to high, I go to this spot. Mm-hmm. Um, if the swell is coming from this direction, based on what these buoys are saying, uh, then I should go to this spot. Um, you know, if it's too onshore, I'm definitely not going to that spot. And and then yeah, it was like this. It was almost like a it was like a feeling I would get by seeing seeing those numbers, like the swell direction, what the tides were doing, and where the wind was coming from. Um, and then I got pretty good at like dialing myself into uh, to what the ocean was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I noticed that when I moved to uh, to Central California to live in Big Sur, and I stopped like looking at all those numbers, that like that that, that feeling kind of went away, which is interesting. You weren't looking at the numbers, so, so you weren't getting excited by the forecast. So I kind of stopped uh, surfing as much when I was in uh, when I was in Big Sur. Okay. And uh, so because I wasn't like checking the forecast all the time, I wasn't as in tune to you know what the ocean was doing. So like you know from day to day, I wouldn't be able to just say, oh yeah, it's going to be good here tomorrow at this time. So you lost touch oh, yeah. a, li- a, a little lot. Did you move to Big Sur because you weren't you didn't want to surf? Oh, I uh, I moved to Big Sur after a breakup. Okay. Um, and a buddy of mine was living there, and he's like, I could get you a job at the state park. Um, and uh, you know, you can take some time to just kind of figure things out. And I was I was thinking to myself, I was like, you know, I'm going to be there for like six months to a year, and that turned into nine years. Oh my gosh. So. Uh, I did surf a little bit there, like the first couple of years. Um, there's some uh, there's some pretty fun breaks there, like Andrew Malera State Park uh, has a nice right point break uh, right at the end of the uh, right at the river mouth. Um, Pfeiffer Beach has uh, three different co- coves that uh, break, you know, each of them pretty distinctly. Uh, there's uh, like Willow Creek, which is a which is a really fun right. Um, there's this one secret spot that I can't mention <laughs> okay. just because like, if I ever want to go back to Big Sur, yeah. like, I don't want anybody ever to hear that I like gave up that secret spot. But, um, and that spot actually, I've, I've had some of my most intense like surf sessions. Um, it's a wave that breaks really similarly to, uh, to Black's. Okay. Uh, Except it, um, it's a rocky reef break. So where Blacks is like a beach break, mm-hmm. um, and it's just it's just a world class wave. But yeah, I can't tell anybody where it is. I'm okay. sorry. That's okay. Maybe maybe after we shut the microphone okay. off, like I'll, I'll like pinky swear you to secrecy. Okay, that that and, that's fair. That's then, that's totally fair. What do you think about spots on the lake? Um, are you a, in, a spot sharer? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I love when people paddle out. Okay, because because we're in the podcast I did earlier, we we're talking about about spots and and here people also get weird about naming. Well, yeah, I can understand that. Yeah, I can totally understand that. Like, I mean, I don't even want to say where I surfed yesterday, so as not to offend other people. Really? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a pretty 
Like, I mean, did I say where I surfed yes, earlier? Oh. But I think maybe only to uh. me. I don't think it was on a mic. Oh, okay. So perfect. <laughs> and I'm, and I'm, it's a really accessible place. Um, but yeah, I am sensitive to like, uh, to the community in that respect. Like, I don't care. Like, come paddle out with me at Montrose anytime there's surf. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll be stoked to have you. Yeah. And, I mean, the most crowded it's ever been at Montrose, like, we've had, like, five people on the lineup, and that's nothing. No, nothing. Like, when I was surfing in San Diego, sometimes I'd be, you know, in a crowd of, like, 15, 20 people, and you're constantly trying to jockey yeah. for position. Um, you know, people are side-eyeing you. Like, getting vibed. Yeah, getting vibed. You know, people are trying to take off deeper than you. Um, but do you think that's necessary on the lake to hide the names of the spots? I I have a theory. I don't think that's a, like I don't think that's my decision to make. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, because I think one thing can happen. Like yesterday, I went out where I went out. It was a really easy spot to get to. It was super accessible. And the reason I went was because, like, I had a limited amount of time. And I got there. And I was like, wow, okay, you know, there's a wave here. I had no idea before, uh, you know, that I was going to get my ass kicked. But then I paddled out, and and I had, I had a struggle fest. Mm-hmm. And I've, you know, I've had over 20 years' experience in the water, like, I mean, even more if you count when, you know, I was swimming as a, you know, as a kid and as a teenager. But, you know, for somebody who just kind of wants to try it out or someone who's learning, someone, you know, who who doesn't have that time in the water, if they find these spots, they go out like by themselves, they might find themselves in a situation that gets dangerous, like really quick. So, yeah, maybe. Is that a part of surfing, though? Maybe? It is. I mean, there's always a risk factor involved when you paddle out. Yeah. Like, um, I mean, I've paddled out at Montrose uh, at times after like, having surfed there for, uh, you know, already a couple of years, where the air, air temperature is in the 20s, the water temperature is in the 30s. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, this, I could die. And no one would see you. And no one would see me. Nobody would find me. Like, I mean, the chances are so small, but say, like, the board hits me in the head, um, knocks me out. Like, with super cold water, the risk factor increases. Yeah, we were in our six millimeter suits. Like, I have eight millimeter booties. Um, and we stay as warm as we can, but like, if we get in a, you know, a dangerous situation, there's not much that anybody's going to be able to do for us or for like, for me, I'm saying like the Royal us. Yeah. In the sense that like, if I'm by myself and something happens like in super cold water, then I'm basically aft. Yeah. And there's not even anybody around to see if you're okay. <laughs> right. I mean, there, there are people who know like that, that I paddled out. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, the car is there and that's true. But yeah, I mean, that, there's always that thought in my head. Um, I've had one near drowning experience um, as a surfer, and this is like pretty soon after I'd started. And um, 
my buddy and I, we went out to a spot called uh, Uppers, which is in San Clemente. It's like just north of uh, Lowers, you know, Trestles. Mm -hmm. And we were out and, you know, we're catching a wave here, catching a wave there, you know, typical session. And then uh, I dropped in on a wave, fell, and while I was getting churned in the uh, in the whitewash, my leash wrapped around my legs. So, you know, as soon as I felt that, my initial instinct was to uh, try to get it, get the leash loose by by rub rubbing my legs together to to get my feet apart. But instead, what that did is it tightened uh, the leash around my legs. Oh God! So, like, I'm underwater. I'm starting to uh, to lose air, and what I had to do is I had to curl up in a ball and get my uh, you know get the leash off my legs, and then you know swim up. And by the time like I was coming up to the surface, I was getting to that point where I was like, "Am I about to swallow water? Am I about to breathe in you know a breath of water?" That's that's been my only one. I had I had another one in a river, but yeah, that wasn't surfing. That was just swimming. So, <laughs> and being out of my element, learning a lesson. Yeah. Well, it's good to have those scare moments. I always ask that question on here mm -hmm. about your like big scare moment when you're surfing. It's that moment that kind of checks you a little bit and you go, yeah, maybe I shouldn't have thought that I could paddle out here. Yeah, that uh, that was definitely one of those. Um, and that was a couple years into, uh, into me surfing and yeah. <laughs> and after actually, like after I had, uh, come up for air and like taken that humongous deep breath, uh, of course there was another wave that was like breaking right on top of my head yep. and, and <laughs> yeah, I just got, I got churned and, you know, you know, came up and just paddled in and yeah, sat and waited for my buddy to get out. <laughs> Have you, do you have any shark stories? No shark stories. Um, actually one, but it's so benign. Uh, it was at Sunset Cliffs in San Diego and I was getting out of the water and I saw, uh, a horn shark. And a horn shark is maybe like, uh, two feet long at the most. Okay. <laughs> and maybe about, I don't know, the diameter of like, a baseball bat. So okay. it's it's just like a super mellow, like little reef shark that's not going to hurt anybody. That's the only time I've ever seen a shark in the water. You're pretty lucky. Have you seen a shark? Yes. I've seen two and felt a couple. Felt a couple? Yeah, in Florida. Um, I forgot where I was surfing. It was like by um, New Smyrna Beach, which is like the sharkiest... They have the most shark bites in the United States, in, in the world, I think. Bites, but no one's losing limbs. That's what the local surf shop guy told me. Okay. Like, no one's losing limbs out here. Let's, let's be reasonable. <laughs> and yeah, you can like actually kind of like, I kicked definitely one. You can, cause they're like, skin is like, it's like rubber, but it's like pokey. Mm -hmm. It's like hard rubber. I don't know if that makes sense. Um, and you like kick them like fish. Yeah, I've never, I've never kicked a shark. Yeah, it's 
and then I'm not talking about like a huge one in this mm-hmm. instance. They were small and like juveniles and they're scared of you. They're not trying to like whatever. But you take the wrong one, you get, might get bit. Which is might get bit. exactly <laughs> what happens in this NSB or I think that's what they call it. New Smyrna Beach. Yeah. So I've had a, uh, a steadfast rule um, that I don't eat shark. Okay. Like, I will never, ever put the meat of a shark into me. Like, even if I have to survive, I will never eat shark. Because? Because if I don't eat them, they don't eat me. It's a karma thing. I, I like that theory. Yeah. I I have such a deep, deep respect for, for that animal. I think it's been, like, much maligned in um, you know, in the media. And, yeah, I think, you know, they're the apex predator. If they're coming after us, it's mistaken identity most of the time. And, I mean, sometimes you see, um, you see videos of scuba divers in, in like, well, quote unquote, shark infested waters. But, like, when, when scuba divers are, uh, are interacting with sharks, like, in their environment, like, the sharks don't ever, like, go after them. Like, if they're, if those scuba divers are just kind of, you know, acting like fish, then the sharks just kind of don't do anything. They just ignore them. They just accept that they're fish. Yeah, that they're fish. <laughs> they're just part of it. They're supposed to be there almost. Yeah, I met this girl who was a shark researcher when I was living overseas and she had eyes drawn on the bottom of every single one of her surfboards because she was convinced that well she wasn't convinced she was an expert so I shouldn't I'm talking like she's not an expert she's fully an expert and she has studied and knows that sharks are like attack predators so they they hunt things but they like attack in a surprise fashion, like right. a sneak attack. So they'll stalk their prey and then then kind of pounce. Exactly. So they're not going to attack something that knows that it's there. So her theory is that if you put eyes on the bottom of your board, shark thinks your board is a seal. If it thinks the seal is looking at it, it's not a sneak attack. Okay. So you're less likely to get attacked. And also, um, the bigger the board, the less of the likeliness of your shark attack threat or whatever because um the bigger the board is the less likely it is that it's a seal like there's not a whole lot of like gotcha if you have like a log or whatever Mm -hmm. mostly the the shadow that that creates makes it look a little bit bigger from below so kind of the smaller the board the higher the shark risk was what she told me well, that kind of makes sense. Yeah. And also, like, if something's bigger, it might put up more of a fight. Right. So, and that's why, like, if you're ever hiking and you see, like, a mountain lion, like, you're supposed to put your, uh, like, put your arms over your head. If you have a jacket, like, put it over your head. To look bigger? To Yeah, to look bigger. And then just kind of back away slowly or let it leave. And then for, as a... For a bear, you're supposed to act like you're dead, right? I mean, if it comes and tries to, like, eat you, yeah. yeah. I mean, (laughs) at at, at that point, like, yeah. Are there bears in Big Sur? This is a stupid question. I already know. No, it's actually not a stupid question. (laughs) Um, The answer is, like, yes and no. Okay. Um, There had been, 
I don't know, bears had nearly been hunted to extinction. Oh, okay. Um, around, uh, around like big parts of California. And a lot of them like had to retreat to like places where humans just weren't. So I know that, um, in the past couple of years, there have been, I think, a couple of black bears that have reintroduced themselves um, into parts of Big Sur. But, yeah, they're definitely not at the populations they once were. So th- that was never something, like, we had to be scared of in Aware. Big Sur. Yeah. Um, mountain cats, for sure. Like, mountain lions. Um, well, all of California has a mountain lion... I don't want to say problem because I don't know if it's a problem, but I've heard that you have to be aware. Uh, you always have to be aware of the, of the mountain cats. Um, you know, a lot of the, like you were almost about to say, problem <laughs> problems occur um, down in Southern California where uh, where the human sprawl is getting into their habitat and it's pushing their prey out of that habitat. And then, yeah, those cats, they're territorial. They want to stay in their home so what they do is there aren't any deer around or you know other little animals uh that they're hunting they're gonna they get desperate enough they're gonna go after humans but um from what i've been told like they don't want anything to do with us if if they don't you know if they're not hungry yeah if if they're not hungry (laughs) if they're not desperate if they don't have to like mountain lions couldn't care less about us like um I've never seen a mountain lion, and I mean, I was hiking around Big Sur like for years, and they're they're elusive, they're private, they're nocturnal. So, um, and there's a better chance that like they've seen me, even though I didn't know they were there. Mm-hmm. What is the weirdest wave that you have ever surfed? Give me a second. Okay. Give me a second here. Uh, you might have to edit out this pause. That's that's, that's <laughs> why we have editing. It's all good. I thought this would have been an easier answer, but I'm like everybody says that. I ask this question every single episode, and it's this is usually unless someone has has like been prepared with it. This is usually how it goes. Oh my god! Like yeah, I'm going through like a rolodex of places that I've surfed. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think there's like a quote unquote like weirdest wave that I've ever surfed. Um, I think the fact that I'm surfing on uh, on a lake is weird. Yes, like, it is. Con- <laughs> considering, like, you know, my experience growing up on the ocean, on the Pacific, and surfing there for so long, and then coming here and coming out and surfing sometimes when the wind chill is negative, in the negative teens, and, you know, the water is nearly freezing. I think that's... For me, that's the weirdest thing. <laughs> it's a little bit weird. Yeah. Sur- surfing in Indiana. Yeah. I never thought I'd be able to say that. Like, oh, yeah, I surfed Indiana. And people look at you like, well, first of all, I have to say this as someone who used to work in Chicago and now lives in Indiana. Chicago people have a weird thing about Indiana. Whatever it is, I'm not sure what it is. But I think when you say Indiana, they just think like corn and like, I don't know, like guns, <laughs> fireworks, <laughs> fireworks. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the fact that you can that there's beaches here, maybe this is specifically Chicago natives, mm-hmm. but 
there's beaches here and that you can surf it. They're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> that you're right. So every wave on Lake Michigan is a weird wave, I guess. For sure. <laughs> and what is next for you? Uh, what's next for me? Um, I would love to surf warm water again one of these days. Um, I uh, yeah. Actually, that's a really good question too. But um, well, I definitely want to keep surfing. Um, I'm in my 40s now, so keeping fit so that I can do that. Um, you know, into my 50s, into my 60s. I want to be one of those guys who uh, who can still like paddle out in his 70s. Maybe on like a huge 12 foot board, <laughs> um, and go like catch a wave or two. Uh, so. Yeah, the next thing for me in surfing is um, just staying fit, staying injury-free as much as I can, and um, just staying stoked. And what gets you stoked? What gets me stoked? Um, the, the hope that one of these days I'll be able to get a freshwater barrel. I have still not been covered up by freshwater. Okay. And I really want that one of these days. That's that's something to get soaked about for sure. <laughs> and if people want to reach out to you, how can they find you? Uh, probably the easiest way to find me would be uh, would be through Instagram. Okay. Uh, you can just go to uh, Gabriel Scavor. Maybe spell it. All right. So Instagram.com slash G-A-B-R-I-E-L-S-K-V as in Victor O-R. Awesome. Well... Thanks for talking. We did like over an hour. Well, thanks for having me. Um, <laughs> if you ever want me back, that'd be cool. I mean, you know, as I was driving over here, I uh, I was thinking like, what makes me special enough to sit down and like talk to somebody on their podcast? Like, I'm not a pro surfer. Like, I'm I'm kind of like a lone wolf in the community. I know a few people, but I do my own thing. Like. I don't know. I'm just a regular guy who who surfs the lake when uh, when I can. So thank you for like having like just a regular dude on your on your podcast. Well, that's I mean that's kind of the point for us at least. It's like we're the same. The only thing now that makes me a little bit different is that I host the podcast, but most of the time I'm surfing with myself. Or my husband. Right. We know people, but we're also kind of like lone wolves. We like might see people, we might get involved, or we might just like not. And uh, I think everybody surfs. Everybody that surfs can always talk about surfing. It doesn't matter what they're, uh, if they're good, if they're not good, if they have wild stories or they have moderate stories. It's like. Everybody can talk about serving. Definitely. And how often do you get to talk about it? <laughs> I mean, I talk about it all the time. That's good. That's good. Not everybody does that. But I think my dog like might get tired of it sometimes. Oh, listening to <laughs> old, old Lucy. It's like, God, Dad, stop talking about surfing and take me out for a walk. <laughs> well, this was awesome. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks for having me. <laughs> 
And that was episode 20. I really hope that you guys enjoyed it. I know I did. I actually, sometimes I second guess myself on the episodes. I had recorded this one right after recording the one with Nate and my brain kind of felt like it was mush, but turned out it was a really good episode. So I'm so thankful for Gabe for coming all this way from Chicago to do the episode. It was just so awesome. And I have included in the description two of the things that we talk about in there. One is the Surfrider Foundation, the Chicago chapter. You can um, donate to them or figure out how to help them at the website that will be in the description. The other one is the Breathe Festival, which is in Indiana. It's the slacklining festival that we talk about in the episode. So thanks so much and we'll see you next time.